We, we can test it. We can look at it. We can study it. We can go see what's out there to see if, it, if what it says is right or not. Every time it checks out. And tonight, this indignation thing, this moment in history that physically changed the earth. As much as we, were, we use words like beautiful for mountains or, or oceans or Grand Canyons or whatever. Oh, they are absolutely, I'm totally in agreement. Like my favorite thing is to go hiking in the mountains. Like that is like, that's where I go. If I want to go away, that's where I love to go away. Because it's beautiful. To imagine everything we see now, listen to me church, is this side of the flood. Literally nothing we see, topography, anything, is what it looked like prior to the flood. So if, it, if, it was, if it's this good now, what was perfect? Hello? Someday, when he says he will remake it and it will be perfect again, we'll get a better picture. But for now, we need to be able to understand the, this book is absolute truth. And it can deal with why I see stegosaurus fossils in rock. So tonight, indignation is why, why we find fossils, church. The reason tonight that we, the things we're going to study tonight, indignation, this wonderful word, provoked anger. In the case of the Lord, the the portion of history tonight, if you will, the second judgment in the word of God is his righteous wrath. Please don't get me wrong. The Lord is a loving God. He is love. He is perfect love, but he's also perfect wrath. He couldn't be God and sovereign if he wasn't. See, we don't, we, we, to us, that those don't fit together because we're not perfect. We're not him. We're fallible. We're, we're, we, mess, we mess up and we sin. We, we don't understand perfect. So to think of him being a righteous judge that will mete out wrath again someday is hard for us at times. But we know Listen to me, that what we're studying tonight is how we know that is going to happen. That'll come better Wednesday night. Don't miss it. <laughs> tonight. Let's go back in history. Turn with me. Genesis chapter 6. If we were to take the text of chapter 5 and add up all of the years, we get, when we take the history in the Word of God, first, in our worldview, I don't care what you've read. I don't care what you've heard about any other civilization. Focus. Listen to me tonight. If this is all we've got to study tonight, let's look and see what it says. 
According to this book here, in chapter 5, we, we get this kind of history right here. This little red line is what we're going to study tonight. This is the flood in history. 8,656 years from creation. Go home, do the math yourself. Checks out. Prior to the flood, the gentlemen that are listed in your, your grandfathers that are listed in in chapter five lived nine hundred plus years. Please don't have an issue with that. Most people do. I used to. <laughs> like that's a big wrinkle. Like a really, really big wrinkle. Every one of those guys. They probably aged much slower, okay? But that's enough about that. I don't have time to even go into that this evening. What I want us to focus on is, is we're, we're talking about 1,656 years into history. I, I, I want you to have a picture that is different than the nursery wall mural or the whatever that you've seen of a picture, once again, in your worldview of this moment in time. Join me in verse 5 of chapter 6 for a second. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Does that sound like a pleasant place? Does it sound like a place that like, maybe we could identify with? I mean, see, we, we've talked already. We, we don't live in a perfect place. We, we, we complain about the just absolute insanity, wickedness, whatever it is. But listen to me, church. Look at this again. Every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Everybody's thoughts were evil all the time. Not just like once a week. Not like just in traffic. (laughs) Not like when just our kids don't do what we ask them to do. They could just go away. Okay, so... it. The word of God says all here. The Hebrew word means all. It's not like, it's not like once in a while they're nice. That's not, that's not the picture we get. You know how I know it's not the picture we get? Because look what he said in that second verse there. In, in, in verse 6, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. Hello? His image bearers. We are his image bearers. And he got to a point where he's like, I am done. I can't even believe I made him. How could I have even made them? There's one school of thought that there in verse 3 where it says, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. There's a consensus of some scholars there. And the more I study and the more I read, I'm leaning that way very heavily. That we had actually sinned away our very image. He was done with us. 
See, what I find when we study this portion of history, we rarely talk about that. We want to talk about the eight that get saved on the boat with the animals. But we never think about the number of people that didn't make it on the boat. Potentially billions of people. Why would I say billions? We started with how many? Two. So they began having kids, right? So the age-old question, where did Cain get his wife? It was his sister. It's okay. Relax. How were the genetics? Pure. Pure. Even, even, even with what we studied last night, pure. Okay? There was no issue marrying your sister. Easy. Just relax. Now, now listen, we're very clear. By the time we get to Moses... And the law comes down, guess when it, we're told not to marry our sister? About 800 to 900 years post-flood. That is when the law came down from the Lord and said, okay, you got to stop that. Like, nobody closer than your, your, your closest cousin. Like, no. Who better to tell us, even before we understood genetics, that if we continue to do that, we are going to have major problems. The one who made the genetics. That wasn't just a gross thing he was passing down. It was for our good. Isn't that interesting? Him telling us something for our good. But for 1,600 years, the genetic line was good. And we, we multiplied. If everybody's living 900 years average-ish, okay, and they're all having kids. Say they have 10 kids per family. Everybody's living 900 years. What is, what's the population do in 1,600 years? Woo! <laughs> Through the rough. I have read estimates somewhere between 2 and 10 billion people is quite easy to think about in that amount of time. You wouldn't have had the disease that we have today. Wouldn't have had it. We, we had the violence. We see all that right here in, in, in the beginning of, of chapter 6. But even taking that into account, even taking that into account, I, there were a lot of people. Quite honestly, I never thought about that. Like, I never computed that. We focused so much on Noah. Don't get me wrong. That's where we should have a focus. <laughs> but we don't think about the number of people that rejected the Lord daily. Rejected his word daily. Look back at the word for a second. Verse 7. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Jump over to 11. Now... Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. By the way, that word is Hamas in the Hebrew. Just, just put that away. Hamas. We'll come back to that Wednesday night. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. I really can't begin to tell you how bad it was. We can kind of try to rifle around and have a picture of what that looks like. I don't think we will do justice to that. 
It was bad. I mean, he, he was ready. To, he was done. He was wiping, them, wiping us off the planet. But look back at verse 8. But Noah found favor. Some translations, I think, translate it maybe a little better. If there's if better is a good word for, for that Hebrew word, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There is one man on the face of the earth that has said, I'm not going to be wicked like everybody else. I'm going to follow the Lord. There's one man. Can you imagine, can you just for a moment imagine being the one person that would stand up for him? One person. We talk about persecution in our country. How many of us are sitting in this room tonight that praise his name? Imagine being the one person in the entire country of the United States of America that would praise his name. See, Noah was a different fella. I, I dare I say his worldview was focused on one person only, and that was the Lord God. Did we do we know that he was a sinful man? Yes. His sins are even some of them are even given to us in Scripture. But he was a faithful man. You know how I know it? Because he's in Hebrews chapter 11. What's that chapter? Turn with me. Hebrews chapter 11 right quick. Hebrews chapter 11. It's our faith chapter in the word of God, right? Like if you get in that chapter, you've got to have some faith. That's how we consider that, right? (laughs) Like those are the faith all stars, right? Hebrews chapter 11. Noah's faith here. Verse 7 says this, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen. What does that tell you about rain and a flood? Guess who had never seen any, any either one of those things? See, when I say flood, how many of us have a picture in our head what that looks like? Hello? I know where I'm at. I know what's happened around here in history. I was even here, like, right after one of the big ones, if memory serves me right. When, like, there was water as far as I could see, like, that way. Out there. Right? It's this way. No, it's this way. It just hit me. Wait a minute. I walk in on the, the, the parking lots there. That's over there. That way. We know what that would have been. Noah had zero idea what that was. Zero. Never seen that. But look, look what it says. When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, did what? Build an ark to do what? Oh, to save his family. The godliness of a father in a family exponentially important. Exponentially important. In the midst of utter wickedness, there's one that says, no. No, I'm following the Lord and I'm doing it because I want to save my family. Not even for himself, for his family. I 
by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes, that comes by faith. He had righteousness. The Lord credited it to him for his faith. In all, in all accounts, blind faith, if you will. He, he didn't see it. He didn't he have any, any idea what was coming. But he stepped out and he said, I'm going to trust him. Because I want to save my family. So he, he steps out. And, and, he, and he makes this, this vessel, this ark. Right? And, and listen, I'm not gonna, I don't have time tonight to, to belabor this point, but it did not look like this. <laughs> you know what? It may have looked similar to the one you can go see in Kentucky. From kind of a sister ministry, if you will, Answers in Genesis. They built this life size ark. Who's been there? Who's been in the ark encounter? Very cool. I do. I encourage you to go if you haven't been. It, it's for no other reason than it gives you. I'm a visual guy. If you can't tell, that's why I have slides and stuff. It gives you a visual image of just the size. Whether it had the big fin thing on the front or not, I don't know, whatever. Okay. It was a large vessel. And the instructions were given to Noah. It wasn't like he had to just like figure that out all by himself, what he was going to do. Somebody had a plan for him already. Hello? The plan was given to Noah. It was up to him to follow it or not. It was up to him to follow it. Be obedient and do it or not. And he trusted the Lord enough to do it. To do it. To build this vessel. We can read it in, in verse 14 and following. It's the description of the ark. How big it is. But there were rooms in it. There, it was covered. That covering, by the way, just side note this evening. The Hebrew words there for coat and for pitch in verse 14. Those are the words that we use throughout the Old Testament for atonement. And paying a, paying a ransom for the price of life, by the way, also. This vessel was, was an atonement for him and his family. In the midst of a judgment. Get past the cartoon arc that is in your, in your memory from a childhood. It was a large vessel. More than adequate for, for what was needed. And it clearly says right there. Clearly says. That there was only one door in the ark. As I share quite often, there was not three ways to be saved. There was not three ways to be saved from this judgment coming. There weren't three different ways to get on the ark. There was only one way to get on the ark. One. That's immense to me. Do not tell me that this book does not have continuity through its entirety. One way to be saved from this judgment to come. And he does it. He, he does exactly what the Lord asked him to do. He had the skills. 
As tough as it might have been for Noah, there was somebody there with him that had given him the plans to do it. And when he finished, it wasn't just him that was going to be on the ark. What else was going to be with him on the ark? Animals. I don't know how many years I had lived, and I can't remember now, when I came across chapter 7, verse 2. One, Noah did not bring animals to the ark. Noah was not in charge of the animals getting on the ark. God brought the animals and put them on the ark. It's what the Word of God says. If we read all the details here, that's what the Word of God says. But specifically, it, it tells us in chapter 7, verse 2, how many of these animals there actually were. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. It was not just our present-day Omaha Zoo on the ark. It was at least two of every kind of creature. Kind. By their kind. Quite possibly those that were infertile at that, at, that, at that moment in history. There's guys that, that would argue, well, maybe some things went extinct prior to this. I'm on the side that says, no, probably not. There is no reason for anything to have gone extinct. One, genetics were still really good in them as well. Why would things go extinct? Unless we drove them to extinction, which I'm not going to argue we might not have in our violence and our wickedness, taking advantage of an animal kingdom that, that did not fear us. I know they didn't fear us because the Word of God says that. So... The Lord brings at least two of everything, but there's not two of everything. He actually brings seven of all the clean and of the birds. I remember when I first read that, I, I about fell out of my chair. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought it was just two. No, it wasn't just two. You know why? Because the Lord knew Noah's heart. Challenge this evening. Does he know your heart? Does he know if it's devoted to him or not? Through thick, through thin, through persecution, through whatever the case may be. Are you going to stand for him, for his word? In the midst of wickedness, in the midst of, of insanity, are you going to stand for him? He knew Noah was going to do that. When we read the seven, that is provision for that. Tells me he knew Noah. We'll get to it in a minute. Really important that we study that little piece there. And it was things that he didn't have to have the Chihuahua to the Great Dane on the ark. He just had to have the canine that would have all the genetics for everything we have today. From the Chihuahua to the Great Dane. And everything in between. Goes the same for any kind that was created, including dinosaurs. 
can't tell you a number of people that when I say dinosaurs are on the ark, kind of can't handle that. Because, because when I say that, we all picture our favorite dinosaur immediately. For lots, for lots, that's the T-Rex. And so we immediately picture a T-Rex on the ark eating everything. That's what we're picturing. We're picturing what we've seen in Jurassic Park and World going amok on the ark. Velociraptors finishing everything else off. We have been fed a story about certain kinds of creatures that we know very, very little to nothing about. Listen to me, church. We have their fossils. Not just their fossils, though. We have their fossils. To know what they were like just because of a fossil, very difficult for me to agree that they were all evil and they were all bad. When it's just a fossil. It's something that has teeth. Have you, have you seen your, your little puppy dog skeleton without muscle and skin on it? Have you seen the head of a, of a dog? They're scary looking. Like, burned in my brain. As I'm, as I'm standing here talking about that, I can vividly remember in eighth grade, my science teacher got this bag shipped to him. And I'm like, and, and he brings this trash bag in, and he's got these eyeballs that are like, <laughs> he was insane, a little. I had a really fun science teacher, rabid evolutionist now that I think about it. But anyways, um, he opens his bag up, and he just made, he dramaed it out like the whole science period. Opens the bag, and he's just like, <laughs> and he pulls out this little bag, this big, sets it over here, he says, the head <laughs> sets it down, and then he pulls out this other bigger bag, the body, and you know we're all like, ah, we're eighth graders, <laughs> and then he slowly unpacks these trash bags. Somebody had shot a coyote and sent him a skinned coyote to show us in class, eighth graders, city kids. Hello, <laughs> I didn't know what you guys know. I'm in the city. I didn't even know we had a coyote close. Like, I have no idea where it came from, right? I'm in the city. I, I will never forget the head coming out of that bag. The skinned head. Everything else there. Like, that was like burn. Into my head. The teeth and the, everything about him was like, What? <laughs> You know what, we would, we would quite possibly take a lot of things that we have today that we know that are very docile and very, even maybe even domesticated, and if we found them in the fossil record and we pulled their heads out and we didn't know what they were, we'd go, oh, those guys were scary. Those guys were freaky. Like, I wouldn't want to mess with one of those. Fluffy, nice fluffy. Okay, so, <laughs> it's about worldview. It's about worldview. Long-necked dinosaurs were not always 85 feet long. They came out of eggs the size of soccer balls. 
Our best assumption, our best guess from the fossil record, a year-old long-necked dinosaur was maybe four to five feet long. That's it. Yay tall. Would he have fit on the ark? Without a problem. Without a problem. T-Rex eggs. Everybody do this with me. Come on. I want you to know this. They're about this long. They're about nine inches long. They're kind of pill-shaped. All right? They were long and kind of skinny. All right? Um, Most theropod dinosaurs laid similar eggs. They were long pill-shaped eggs. So how big was a T-Rex when they were born? If it came out of an egg yay big, how big are they? Little cute guys. Did they have the ability to grow to 42 feet long and 12 feet high at their hips and ferocious teeth and, and a brain no bigger than your fist? Yes. We, we've been fed a worldview about these creatures. I'm not arguing against the idea. Some of them very much could have been ferocious. Please don't send me hate mail. But I'm here to tell you, those that represented the kinds that the Lord had created, that he brought to the ark to save them, they were the ones he needed on the ark. And it says he brought two, at least two, of every kind of creature. Seven of clean and seven of birds, winged. It means everything, guys. That includes the dinosaurs. Because we have evidence of them post-flood, church. Focus. You can't have a land animal post-flood if they weren't on the ark. We have biblical evidence of dinosaurs. Biblical, focus, biblical evidence of dinosaurs. Let alone civilizations around the world. Doesn't fit the narrative, though. That they went extinct 66 million years ago by a... Meteorite, yes, asteroid. That we, did any of us see? Hmm, no, no. How do we know it? Who in here can tell me, how do we know it was an asteroid strike? Who studied? Who has it in their worldview? This is what I find, right here. We've all heard it. Our, our, our kids know it. Focus, listen to me. They know it, but they, they can't tell me why. Well, because we have a hole down in the Yucatan Peninsula. Oh, so all scientists agree that that hole near the Yucatan Peninsula is from an asteroid strike? Not a true statement. Not all scientists believe it is. Not all geologists believe that's from an asteroid. Not even all evolutionists believe that's from an asteroid, just in case you're curious. We have to study, church. And we have to start with the Word of God. Fossils. Fossils. Dinosaurs. See, there were dinosaurs on the ark. Were there other animals on the earth besides dinosaurs? Yes. Everything we've got was on the earth with dinosaurs. Because most of the stuff is still buried with the dinosaurs. Rot row. Wait, I've been told that the dinosaurs were all buried together because they, they lived at this certain time and then the mammals came along, something, something, da, 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 da. Mm-mm. Nope, we got mammals with dinosaurs in the fossil record. 
We've got mammals under the dinosaurs. That means older rock to an evolutionist. We've got birds, focus. We've got birds buried below dinosaurs. So if dinosaurs are evolving into our birds, we have a problem. With the fossil record that nobody wants to ever talk about. That's the present thing. For those of you that aren't up on the dinosaur thing. Present thing is the theropod, the two-legged walking ones. Turned into birds. Some of them. Zero evidence for that. Zero observe, test, repeat, falsify. Zero evidence. Go study the peer-reviewed journals. Quit listening to the news. Quit watching movies about this and thinking you're watching a documentary. It's a movie. It's supposed to be entertaining. I'm way off topic. I told myself, don't get on dinosaurs. That's why I'm not showing you any, any slides. Is because I told myself, if I put the slides in, I'll go there. <sighs> Step over to verse 16 of chapter 7. I need you to understand who was in charge of the door. Huh. I need you to know who was in charge of salvation. Who is in charge of the covering says very clearly in the 16th verse of chapter 7 the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. The Lord was in charge of the door. It was not Noah's responsibility. It was not Noah's. It was, it was the Lord. And then the flood began. Look at verse 11 for a second. Notice it, it, it will not say once upon a time in Noah's life. It is very, very specific in verse 11 when the flood began. In the 600th year of Noah's life on the 17th day of the second month. Do you hear the details? Like mark the calendar. That's when it happened. On that day, look what it says. All the springs of the great deep burst forth. Maybe your translation says all fountains. All springs or fountains of the great deep burst forth. And the floodgates of the heavens were open. So guess what it wasn't just. It wasn't just rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the, then the flood was gone and everything was good. I will ask student after student when I'm with them at camp or I'm at VBS with them, and I will ask them, how long did the flood last? Guess what the overwhelming answer is that I get from the student? 40 days and 40 nights. When we actually look at the text, they were on the ark over a year, guys. The judgment, this judgment against sin was a year long in length in history. It was not a nasty Missouri rainstorm for 40 days and 40 nights. And then Noah comes off and everything's hunky-dory. It's not what this was. That's not what it's described as. All the springs, that is, liquid and the earth opening up and coming up out of the earth. Liquid. 
Something liquid. It could be water. It could very well be magma. We break the earth crust far enough, other liquid comes out. Hello? How many of these liquid producing things were there, does it say? All of them. Have you ever studied a volcano before? There's a couple around the earth. You didn't know. There's a few. Most of them are dormant. There's some active ones still to this day. Anybody recall that one from from Tonga in the South Pacific? Like, what was that, a year and a half ago maybe? Now? Like, all of a sudden, this little island that was barely an island anyways, that they thought was just kind of like this dormant volcano, all of a sudden just explodes. Anybody catch that one? I wish I had my video of it. Like, our GOES satellites, all of our weather satellites saw it and got images of it blowing up and then the shock wave of it going across the atmosphere all the way around the earth. It was absolutely, Google that, Tonga Volcano, okay? Absolutely amazing. One volcano. I mean, like this little island just obliterates itself. No people living on it, thankfully. It was just a rocky little thing barely over the ocean. Just explodes. All I could think of was chapter 7, verse 11, when I saw that. See, I've been impacted by volcanoes, because I've studied a few of them, and and over and over again, for years now, I've, 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 I've given reference to this one. In Washington State, Mount St. Helens. See, Dr. Sharp, one of the things that Dr. Sharp, our founder, impressed upon me um, early on when I first met him was that when we look at Mount St. Helens, which is actually quite a small volcano compared to lots of others that we've studied in history, but he impressed upon me the importance of understanding what a volcano can do. One, one spring, one fountain can do. But that we need to be thinking about what if they all went off at the same time? (laughs) Like if they all showed up at the same time? It'd be devastating. But even just this one, I've studied for years how, how we watched that Sunday morning, Gary Rosenquist got these pictures, some of the best pictures, only pictures we have of the actual eruption of Mount St. Helens in Washington State back in 1980. I was like third grade, fourth grade, I don't know, something like that. See, we had known that it was going to explode. We had watched the, we had actually watched this whole, this whole flank right here, this whole side right here, like bulged way out. Like just, see, that's like even hard to fathom for me to see rock just kind of go and then stay there. That would have been crazy for me to even think. And then it slid. There was an earthquake and it began sliding. And that's where we get these pictures. That's the side of the mountain sliding down the side of the mountain. And then it began exploding up and out. See, it had a high water content. There was water actually kept under pressure, and it was still liquid water inside of the mountain. But as soon as the pressure changed with the cracking of the rock and it opens it up, it became, as Doc would always put it, you taking a pop bottle Shaking it up, and then what happens? Liquid under pressure goes all over your neighbor. Right? See, we knew this was going to happen. 
But see, there were guys that stayed in the red zone because they knew we needed to study and keep track of it. There were volcanologists like, like David Johnston who, who had the task of, of, of keeping track of this volcano. And, and they were in the, the, the red zone, but they, were, they set up camp about five miles away from the actual mountain. Because the thought was, five miles, okay, we would probably have time. But when it starts erupting, I can, I can start my readings and then get in, go, get out. David Johnston, it is recorded five miles away, he was most likely killed in, in 45 seconds when the eruption started. He was five miles away, guys. I got the opportunity a year and a half ago to actually go to Mount St. Helens for my first time. When you stand at the very spot where, where that last picture was taken of David at 7 o'clock on Saturday night, how the last guy out took his picture relaxing in front of his little camper there, when you stand right where he stood, that mountain is absolutely enormous. Like, I never pictured it as big as it actually is. All the years I've talked about it, all the years I've showed pictures, like, like every picture does zero justice to that mountain. Growing up in Colorado, I know mountains. The mountain is huge. And five miles does not look like very far at all. It feels like you're right there in the crater. But I, as I stood there, all I could think of was there's a man who, who gave his life trying to protect the rest of us. Who maybe thought he had another day. And he didn't. See, all around this mountain, if you've never been in the northwest, the forests in the northwest are not like forests we have. They are very, very, very large trees. That's me. Right there. We don't have trees like that in Colorado. Nothing even remotely like that in Colorado. Oh, there's fossilized ones, though. That's another story. Okay, so... It laid down the forest of 200 square miles of trees on the north side, out from the crater, laid it down in approximately three minutes. Enough wood for 600,000 homes to be built. 600,000 homes to be built. Because those trees are enormous. <laughs> just laid them down. Like, they, like just, <laughs> no big deal. Trees. Bigger than around, like, I mean, who's been in the Northwest? Whew. Crazy huge trees. And they're not even the sequoias, right, in California. But they're big, right, these cedars and the, these redwoods. The whole time, there's a disaster going on. There are 57 people being killed. One of which was a gentleman by the name of Harry R. Truman. Not the president, S. Truman. R. Truman. He, he had this little house right there, right there near the lake, Spirit Lake, and he pretty much told everybody when they said, you better get out, Harry. This thing's going to blow. And he's like, no, I've been here my entire life. Everybody's said that before, and it's never going to happen. 
he is 150 feet below the level of the lake now. Because he didn't heed, didn't heed what was coming. He, he could have he could have been saved. The lake increased in size. There was enough rock and other debris driven into the lake that it raised over 208 feet from its original level. And then the Army Corps of Engineers had to lower it and keep it at 150 feet above where it originally was. Because there was a risk of it taking out the dam that had been formed to form it and hold it. So when you see these images... The water actually went over those ridges there from the lake. Students, have you ever like, you remember filling bath water in the tub and then jumping in? (laughs) Not saying you should do that. It has a tendency to slosh. And I will never forget on... On my 25th anniversary on my cruise with my wife, first cruise, never done that before, I remember walking out on deck like the second evening, and, the, and, the, and, and you know, the ship's cruising on the ocean. I expected waves. I'm like, it, we're on the ocean. Everybody else seemed to think there was a problem going on. Well, when we walked out on deck and I saw the pool, and washing across the deck, I went, Wow. Spirit Lake during Mount St. Helens. Actually, I have a video of it. I'm not going to show it to you, but I was. I'm shooting video of it. Everybody else is like running inside. I'm like, look at that. Um, to this day, 40, 40 years later, those big, large trees are still floating in that lake. That, that's the, th- those are the trees. Those are the trees right there. My laser is dying. Come on. Okay. Go back to the text. All the springs of the deep, great deep burst forth. The earth opened. Fountains came out. Water, magma, pyroclastic flow. We have no idea. But the earth broke. The entirety of the earth broke. And then it says the floodgates of the heavens were open. <laughs> That's, that is literally Niagara Falls coming out of the heavens over the entire planet. So just put that in perspective of those of you that have been in Niagara. You know what that feels like? Sounds like? That, that's, that's the description here given to us at the beginning of the flood. It did that for 40 days and 40 nights. The floodwaters, it says, if if we continue reading here, they continued to rise till they had covered the entire earth at day 150. Took that long to cover the highest mountain of that time. And it was not Everest, church. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Everest would be formed in the next 150 days. Wait, put that in your think tank for a second. Everest went from underwater, sea bottom, to 29,000 feet in maybe four to five months. It may have happened in a day. may have happened in a day. When India starts sliding across the mantle and, and then subducts underneath of the Eurasian continent, 
guess what happens? Mount Everest is there, along with the entire Himalayan range. How do we know it went fast? How can, I, how can I stand before you and say, I believe it happened very quickly? Because in the Himalayas, if you study the Himalayas at all, there are bent and folded like ribbons, rock of igneous rock. Igneous rock. Come on, come on now. Come on now. We've got three kinds of rock, right? We've got igneous. Help me. Igneous. Se- sedimentary and metamorphic. Oh, my goodness. When you have igneous rock that is folded, see, we like to say, well, when we fold rock, we have to heat it up and we have to pressure it, right? As soon as we heat it and pressure it, it ceases being igneous rock. It becomes, come on, church, metamorphic. Very good. Some of you remember your science class. That's good. When we take igneous or metamorphic and we crush it up or we move it or we erode it, it becomes sedimentary. By and large, all sedimentary rock, every geologist knows this, by and large, all sedimentary rock shows great sign of water involvement. You don't say. Guess where we find sedimentary layers of rock on the planet? Everywhere. Every continent. Every continent. In the Himalayas, we have hundreds of feet of folded and bent rock that is not metamorphic. It's still original, whatever it was. You know what? To do that, it has to happen very quickly with not a whole lot of heat or pressure because it has to still be pliable to do that. Otherwise, if it's already rock, it fractures. We'd have fractures. We would not have bent and folded like this. Himalayas happened quickly. The visual evidence supports that. Not... Not continental drift. Not what we're measuring today. That is not explained. This. That that explains fractures, cracks, that stuff. That explains metamorphic. That explains lots of other things. See, I'm trying to impact your worldview. I'm trying to impact your worldview about stuff that, that we are taught over and over again says the word of God's history is totally wrong. Fossils. Fossils are a given all the time as why we should not believe the history and the word of God. This stack of rocks that you see on the screen that shows up in our earth science textbooks, geology textbooks, wherever it is, museums, nowhere on the planet does this entire column, the entire column, show up like this. We are missing great parts of it in most places. We are told that from the bottom of the screen to the top, that is the evolutionary history. From very simple Creatures at the bottom, they've evolved over time to become very complex. The complex ones are up at the top. There's nothing simple about a trilobite, just in case you're curious. The guys down there in the Cambrian layers, those little fossils over there, those are trilobites. God designed a trilobite to live at the bottom of the seafloor. He gave them eyes with over 300 plus lenses. Does that say simple to you? 
That's just simple life. It's very common, simple life. No, they're very complex. They were designed to live where they live. Notice, notice this column that, that we're, we're told about. Notice as we go up the column, if you, were, if you were mud from a flood or sediment from a flood burying things, by the way, to make a fossil, you have to be buried very, very quickly in lots and lots of mud and water. That is how you are a fossil. Notice, look at where things might have lived. Think about where things might have lived. On just the fossils that are listed here as like index fossils. If, if those fossils are in those layers of rock, that's most likely where they lived when they were buried. Notice, it's ocean bottom creatures, then the middle of the water column creatures, and then things that would have been swampy edge of water bodies creatures, and then last but not least, mammalian creatures by and large. As I've already stated, they're getting mixed up. It's not all this nice and neat. Can you imagine, could, could you possibly imagine a tsunami going on during the flood? What we just read? Could there have been tsunami stuff going on? Tsunamis have a tendency to mix things up a lot. And then bury them. Together. Things that are land-based and water-based all in the same rock. We see that all the time in the fossil record, church. All the time. The fossil record is the, is the burial of where they lived in their ecological zones as the floodwaters rose through the flood. It's that simple. When we don't have a section of the geologic column, the waters weren't burying things there yet. That area wasn't that high or that low yet to be buried. It's that simple. Dr. Tim Clary, write his name down, please. Dr. Tim Clary. He is a petroleum geologist. Kind of knows something about rock. He used to work for a little company called Chevron. Have you, have you heard of that company? Like he was in charge of helping find oil. Petroleum. He believes the word of God's history is right of 6,000 years, but he was a petroleum geologist for years finding oil. He predicted that there should be oil and certain kinds of, I, I so know like a, a hair of what I should know about this. There's this thing called whopper sand that petroleum geologists would look for out in the Gulf. And when they find whopper sand, they know under the whopper sand we will find petroleum. And so they had this prediction based on an evolutionary worldview of how long the earth has been here and washing out this whopper sand and then making the oil underneath of it and the petroleum underneath of it that, listen, we can't have whopper sand out too far from the continent because then it would just have gone away because it had been out too far. It had been laying there too long. And so he would, he would, he would come to his colleagues and say, but, but what, if, what if the whopper sand is out further because it was, it was washed out much quicker than we think? What if it happened? What if it happened much quicker? He wouldn't bring up the Bible. He would just say, what if it happened much quicker? Because he believes everything is being buried in the geologic column by the flood over the course of one year. He says, I believe the Whopper sand is probably out further. We should, we should look out further away from the edge of our continent and drill there. Because I think there's going to be more, more petroleum there based on a flood model of geology. 
never, never took him for anything at the company. And I, oh, it's, it's fine. It's just him. Years later, he showed up at a petroleum conference with some of his buddies. And one of them came up and said, you would not believe, Tim, what we did. We, we decided to go out further. And we found Whopper sand and we found petroleum further just like you said we might. See, that, that's, that's a geologist thinking biblically first. Don't tell me you can't be a scientist and love the Word of God. Absolutely ridiculous to me. The flood. What did the flood do? It laid down things. The fossil record. They're all ancient things. That's what we've been told. Until, until in the mid-90s... Um, Does that look like a rock to you? Why does that not look like a rock to you? What are you seeing on the screen? It's something that looks very what? Stretchy. Rocks are not stretchy. Hello? Are fossils stretchy? No, because here's why. In case you didn't know, a fossil is a rock. It's a rock. It's something that used to be alive, used to be organic, used to be something, and and it's now been permineralized. It's been fossilized. It's been petrified. Out of the middle of a T-Rex femur bone, that sample was found. And it was still stretchy. Focus, listen to me. Middle of a T-Rex femur bone. That Mary Schweitzer, the lady on that video, as she's describing what she found, she says the outside of the bone looked fossilized. It was rock. The inside did not. And it didn't just look not fossilized, it smelled not fossilized. It smelled like it was still decaying, she said. Stunk. She was taught and she believed in her worldview that it is 90 million years old. 90 million years old, but it's still stretchy. And it stinks. And then she made the realization that rocked the paleontology world. They cut up some of that bone into very, very thin slices and found red blood cells for the first time of a T-Rex. Red, still red. The hemoglobin still present. 90 million years. At present, there's six different ways she's trying to explain why we would have that. Guess how many of the six are working out? Go read the scientific papers. None of them are. They're not working out. Because you cannot have mostly water-based things still there. 90 million years. You have to have the right burial conditions just to have them in 4,300 years. That's what we're talking back to the flood that we're reading tonight from now. I mean, it's got to be the right conditions just to have that. As we were being locked down, literally the month after I was here, Mark, at your place, locking us down. The week I was here on my way home, I had no place to eat. Um, My wife was glad she brought toilet paper with her. Okay, so. You guys remember that week? (laughs) In April that year, in some of that soft tissue of a dinosaur, 
the first recorded DNA was, was observed. Guys, we have DNA. Okay, so to find a red blood cell, that is, that, is, that is very fragile. But we're talking DNA in the nucleus of a cell now. Of something that's supposed to be millions of years old. <laughs> like when I saw this slide, I'm like, what? <laughs> just more, just more, more stuff. Every, like every year we're finding more stuff that is like, it's right. Woo! Observable, testable, repeatable, verifiable evidence. Oh, I got more. What is, the, what is the thing that gets stuck in our brain as to why everything has to be great ages? Talk to me, church. What? Carbon dating. Who's heard that term? All right. I'm, we are not going to spend a lot of time on this because I'm supposed to be done. Listen to me. Carbon. Okay. The term is radiometric dating. That is the umbrella. That's the umbrella. Okay? Inside of radiometric dating, there are lots of different dating methods. Every dating method gives you a different date range. Are you with me? Uranium lead, potassium argon, rubidium stromium, carbon. Carbon's one. One of those kinds of dating methods. Every one of these gives a different date method. Because... Every one of these radioactive elements, uranium, potassium, or rubidium, every one of those elements decay at a different rate. Everybody follow me so far? Okay, just nod with me, just in case, even if you're not. Okay, good. Okay, so we, we observe the amount of uranium in something and the amount of lead in something, and if, and if they're further apart, if the uranium is here and the lead's way up here, then the uranium's been there much longer decaying and leaving behind more lead. Everybody with me? So we measure the amount of uranium in something and the amount of lead in something, and then, and then we compare those two based on what we believe the half-life is, 4.2 billion years. When did we discover radioactivity, church? Who discovered radioactivity? Madame Curie, very good. Have you, have you seen the movie? There was a movie about her. But anyways... 1880s is when we discovered radioactivity. How long have we been observing a radioactive half-life of 4.2 billion years? Like 140-ish years. But we're pretty sure it's 4.2 billion years, half-life. Okay. <clears throat> focus. Stay with me. Let's talk about the one way over here, the carbon one. Let's just focus on the Okay, the other one's... This, a lot of this is the same for all of them, but let's focus on the carbon one, because that's the one that gets stuck in here. We hear carbon dating, and we hear, oh, that means it's really, really crazy old. Listen to me. If anybody uses carbon dating to, to show you that a dinosaur bone is millions of years old, you immediately know they don't have a clue what they're talking about. Are you Listen to me, church. If somebody says, I believe it's millions of years old because of carbon dating, they have zero clue what they're talking about. What's the upper threshold of carbon dating accurately that will ever give you? 50,000 years. Very good. Some of you have sat under my tutelage or you're just really good and remember that stuff from science class. I didn't. I've been studying really hard. 
Okay, 50,000 years. Carbon dating. You will never see a carbon date that, that will say is accurate that is over 50,000 years. That's it. Wait, what's the common thought of how old a dinosaur is? At least 60. It's 66 now, Mark. It's not 65. 66 million years old. So should there be any radiocarbon in 66 million year old dinosaur bone even observable? No, because we can't observe it past how, what age? 50,000 years. So, so should we carbon date a dinosaur bone? Nope. That would be a total waste. That would be what an evolutionary worldview said. Total waste of, of, of that bone, of that fossil, of, of our time. Because that's 66 million years old. It won't have any carbon in it whatsoever. None of it. What if, what if, what if there was soft tissue in that bone? Could we carbon date that soft tissue? Sure we could. James, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something, so be ready back there. We did not have time. This is not James' fault if we can't hear it. Because it was because I didn't get here enough time to test it. it. That's Jack Horner. He is the fellow that found that leg bone with the soft tissue and red blood cells. Bob Inyart is a, is a biblical creationist and pastor. And he has since went home to be with the Lord. We lost him, I think, a year and a half ago to COVID. But he, he had a radio talk show host. He was a radio talk show host and a pastor in Denver, Colorado. And he called, he called Jack one day because Jack hadn't been getting back to him because he sent Jack a letter. As soon as he heard about the soft tissue, he sent Jack a letter and said, Hey, Jack, I'm going to give you $10,000 to use however you want to in your museum there in Bozeman, Montana. And I'm going to pay for that soft tissue to be carbon tested, carbon dated. Let's carbon date this soft tissue of a dinosaur, non-fossilized. He never heard anything. So he calls him one day on his radio talk show, gets him on the phone, on the air. And says, hey, Jack, I don't know if, you, if you've ever got my letter, but I'm, here's who I am. He introduces himself, and then he says, he says to him, listen, Jack, what if I can get you 20, I think he says $20,000. He ups the amount of money for him, right? That's where this phone conversation comes in, and you're going to hear Jack here first. Maybe. Um, <sighs> let, me, let me tell you where I'm coming from here. Sure. All right? Obviously, your group is a group of creationists. Yes, and and um, and the spin they can get off of it, right? Doing it is well, not going to help. Not going to help us. Yeah. So even though it's just a scientific test, they're they're not well, asking it's, for it's voodoo. Not a, it's not actually a scientific test. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Carbon fourteen dating something with soft tissue in it. <laughs> See, I had cut the, I cut it off there for for a reason. It ceases being a a nice conversation. Words are used that shouldn't be used. See, if this if this whole issue was a scientific issue, if I was Jack, I would I would take the the money, ask for more, go do the test and show him he's wrong. Guys, it's not about science. 
It's about your eternal soul. This is a spiritual battle, church. Spiritual battle. If it was about science, he would have done it a long time ago. Maybe he did, and he didn't like the results, and he wasn't about to do it again and show anybody else. I have no idea. Listen to me. I have no idea. But he wasn't about to take it. Wasn't about to do it. Why? Because he's right. We very much would promote that and show it's not millions of years old. Thankfully, we've had a couple creationists actually do this. Take samples from around the world, 16 samples. He started with 16 samples all around the world. Didn't like just get it from deposits in like Montana. He got them from all over the, all over the world. It, all the way up and down the side there, you can see some of those are, are dinosaurs, some of it's wood, some of it's, some of it's another plant, other kinds of things. These are the dates in millions of years by an evolutionary understanding of the geologic column. And they sent them to the five leading carbon dating laboratories in the entire world. The ones that everybody uses to carbon date something, to give us that accurate carbon date. If a sample has a star next to it, it was measurable radiocarbon dated. How many of them have stars? All 16 samples. Under what threshold on the chart, church? Less than 50,000 years, which means those are accurate dates according to a carbon dating laboratory. I don't have time to teach you or show you that there's assumptions going into that to get that even age of date. (laughs) But one of the guys, Dr. Brian Thomas, that worked on this process, worked on it a little bit for his, his doctorate. He went on to test 33 more samples. He didn't stop with 16. Guess how many of those samples came back with radiocarbon? All of them. In the accurate threshold, as it is given. When he went to one of the carbon dating laboratories, because he went in one day, because he he kept seeing in his measurements, there was like this number that he kept coming up with that he couldn't reconcile. And so he called one of of them one day and he said, hey, what is this extra date you're putting in? What's this number you're putting in here? They said, well, that's what we have to put in there because we, we haven't ever tested anything that's carbon blank. Those of you that are scientists in the room, you know what that means. There's no control. There's no sample that's ever been tested that has zero carbon, radiocarbon in it. Guess what? Nothing can be. Millions of years old. There's been nothing tested that's carbon blank, church. They put a fudge factor into the date given to us for a carbon date of what we think carbon blank would be. That's one of many assumptions in carbon dating. Listen to me. Please don't let carbon dating tell you that this history's wrong. Because <laughs> it doesn't. You know what? We don't just have skeletal dinosaurs in the fossil record. We have fully skinned ones. This is Zool, whole head, scaled, skinned. There's skin across his entire back with his spikes. He was one of those ankylosaurs with the bald tail. I got to see him up in Toronto, Canada. That's where he's on display. That's his entire back. Those, those spikes, it says on one of the signs, because I had read ahead, I knew who he was. 
those spikes are not fossilized all the way through. They're actually keratin in the inside of them. They were made of the same material as your fingernails. Not fossilized. What? Like it was buried very quickly in a flood or something. Um, actually, the sign on the way out actually says that. He was washed into a river during a monsoon. May even have been killed by a flood. As I often say, I totally agree with that sign. We're just talking about a different flood. Let's close tonight. See, the the flood was an actual event in history. Not only does it show up in the Word of God, the Lord gave us a sign that we can trust it will never happen again like that. That it was a global event. It was not just a flood where Noah lived. You may hear that from time to time by, may I use the term loosely, creation ministries. That believe that, that this flood that we've been studying tonight, it was, it was not. And if you go back and, and tonight before you go to bed, read through chapter 7 and chapter 8 in detail. It, it was a global event. It was a global judgment against sin. And I know it was global because he gave us a sign that he would never do it again. If it was a local flood, hello, do we still have them? <laughs> then every time we see a rainbow, he lies to us. That's how serious I, I want to get about the global thing. You, you, you can have your opinion that it wasn't global all you want, but it's not biblical. Not what this says. And just by saying it was local says the Lord lies to you every time you see a rainbow. And that rainbow has nothing to do with an agenda. It's been, it's been, it's been taken by an agenda. See, if you study the word of God, Satan is all about trying to take things of the Lord and twist them. Hello? Use them for his advantage somehow. This is a promise to you and to me. We can trust what this history says. That is what that is. That there was a judgment of sin. In Noah's day, the wickedness was going to be judged and righteously with indignation. And we know it happened because of this right here. It's a sign. If we were to sit here and we read through chapter 9, it was a sign. He repeats himself over and over and over again about it. Please turn with me to 2 Peter. As we close on this, this passage tonight in 2 Peter. First of all, you must understand, starting in verse 3 of chapter 3 of 2 Peter. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing, making fun of you, mocking you. They are following their own evil desires, it says. So they are about themselves only. They will say, verse 4, Where is this coming, he promised? What are they doubting? They're doubting that Jesus is coming back. And they're making fun of us for believing that. Why? Because it says this, Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has 
since the beginning of creation. They look out at creation and they look at all the things happening, wind and weather and everything, and they say, this has all been happening from the beginning. What makes you think he's coming back? What are they missing? <laughs> look what it says. Verse 5, but they deliberately forget. Woo! They forget. That long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. They forget that God created everything. He's in charge. That's the first chapter of Genesis. What's the next verse say? By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. What is he talking about? Well, we just studied tonight. By the same waters that were created there at the beginning... They were used to destroy, deluge everything. And another very good instance of it was global. <laughs> Hello? Hmm. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Look at verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Church, it's going to happen again. But it's not going to be water this time. There's another judgment coming. This time, what is Peter telling us? What is the Lord telling us through Peter? It's going to be fire. There's another judgment coming. Tonight, I, I, I beg of you, in the midst of this revival, we are not being called now to be covered by an ark. We are being called now to be covered by his name. His name is Jesus Christ. His blood. His and his only. There is still only one way to be saved. Isn't it interesting? In the 10th chapter of John, he actually calls himself the door. He actually says, I'm the door. Like, I don't know how much more plain he needs to be with us. As it was in the days of Noah, so it would be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. But there are those that want to forget it, that deliberately want to just block out Genesis because Genesis never happened in history. But you know what? That points exactly to him and him coming. And we can trust it because of everything we can go see and check that he said he did. We can trust it. So are you trusting him tonight? Do you trust him? Does he know that your heart is sold to him like Noah's? In the midst of our chaos, does he know you're sold out to him? See, he made provision for that. See, when he knows it, and he knows it, he makes provision for you. Those clean animals, when you go back and you look in the chapters that we, we didn't finish up with tonight, what's the first thing Noah does when he gets off the ark? He worships his, his God for, for his salvation. He takes some of the clean animals and the birds and he sacrifices them. If God only brought two of everything and he sacrifices some of them, we have a problem. But the Lord knew Noah. He knew what he would do in the midst of chaos. That he was faithful. He was obedient. And he showed him grace for it. Be a Noah. Be a Noah, please. If you're not sure about that, man, there's people here that can give you, give you some answers, can help you study in the Word. Because the Word is truth. That's why I've been hauled up here from Oklahoma, I'm pretty sure. Pray with me. Lord, I, I, 
I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for who you are. Lord, you show us the way. You seek after us. You want nothing more than to show us grace. Lord, but we see you. We, we have this idea in our worldview that you are nothing more than, than hating us and, and you don't like us. And, and we get all these ideas. And Lord, those are lies from Satan. Lord, by no means do you love our sin. You, you hate our sin. Your word says so. But Lord, you love us and you've made us to be saved. Lord, tonight in this place, I I just ask that you move. You allow us to see you differently, see your word differently. Lord, allow us to know who you are. Maybe someone here tonight for the first time. Maybe somebody listening out there online for the first time. Lord, I ask as you seek them out. Give them the boldness to ask questions. Lord, and we praise you for who you are, my redeemer, my covering, my atonement. Lord, I praise you. And I look forward to eternity with you. And I know it's going to happen because of the things you've already told me that I can see and check. Lord, I thank you for the hope tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.